0: Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, reading from verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honour your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. At this the man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked up, looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the, tr- for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to the enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Well, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said with man this is impossible but not with God. All things are possible with God. And Lord as we come before you this morning we're often so aware of the things that crowd our lives that make it feel impossible to follow you or to serve you or to love you. And we pray that you would speak to us this morning of how, as we entrust you with our lives, what seems impossible to us does indeed become possible. But you are the author and perfecter of our faith. Without you, we can do nothing. So we just ask your spirit to take these words and make them live for us this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. What I'm going to do this morning is introduce a a, a theme that we're going to spend some time on over the next five or six weeks. In response to a sense, um, I think the Lord's just gently maybe uh, speaking to us about which is to rediscover our first love, to rediscover our love for Jesus and our passion for Jesus and to discover it for the first time if we don't have that. And to allow him to breathe into us a freshness and a life that will be infectious. Because the, the relationship, the Christianity that Jesus calls us into, is not meant to be a drudgery. It's meant to be life-giving. It meant to be on the same level of you just come away back from three weeks in the Caribbean and people ask you how you are and you're tanned and you're enthusiastic and you say, oh, it was great. Well, sharing the love of Jesus is meant to be like that, intuitively overflowing from hearts that have been filled with him. That is not a theory. It only is a theory when it's not true for us. It's an invitation. And Jesus' invitation is, I can make it true for you. And so the theme of these weeks is, I've I've put it loosely as questions and answers. And also talking about... um, being amazed by Jesus, that's what I'm also thinking about this morning, being amazed by Jesus, being stunned by Him, being open to Him, in a way maybe we haven't been before. If you go to websites, and if you go to places, uh, it's very common on websites now to have FAQs, frequently answered questions. And I want to look at some of the common questions that Jesus asked. Because when Jesus walked on this earth, He was the revelation of God. He was basically God in human form, He was God in human form in a quite unique way. And that's why I always, always, always encourage people, the more impossible you think God is, the more true that probably is. Because we don't want God to be predictable like I am. God is unbelievable. And he gave us a glimpse of himself in Jesus. And Jesus, that glimpse that we got even in Jesus was unbelievable. Easter was unbelievable. The cross was unbelievable. The fact that he loves us is unbelievable. It's all unbelievable. But it's true. And the more we try and get to him through our logic, the less we'll get there. And so Jesus, when he walked on this earth, encountered real people, just like you and me. The disciples were no different in their makeup. And his mission was to reveal to a very broken and a very cynical and a very distant, religiously numb people... The love of the Father, God as being loving, God as being a Father to them, specifically now. And to captivate their minds and hearts. If Jesus had not succeeded in captivating the minds and hearts of the disciples, they would never have returned after the crucifixion. And we live in a culture where we think information is what changes lives and information doesn't. It's the heart that changes. Without God, as Sandy Miller says, we are subhuman. Without God living vibrantly in our lives, we are subhuman. Spiritually, we are like corpses. Normality is walking with Jesus. We live in an abnormal world. We live in a world that is not what it is meant to be, and it is not according to God's design. And they're pockets of his life where people come to Jesus. This is not an optional extra. It's the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. But the problem with the ineffectiveness of the church in the West, by and large, is that we think it's an optional extra. And half the people in the church, really, there's no pressure or no passion or no desire to see anybody else know Jesus. It's just an optional extra. And that's not what Jesus went to the cross for. He went to the cross because it was the way, the truth and the life. And I don't know about you, but I figure Jericho Road should be shooting for that. For something remarkable. Something extraordinary. Something passionately different. Not because of the people, but because of the God around whom they gather. We are defined by our God. That's why worship is so important. I come in all disheveled to focus on God in order that I might be drawn into what he has for me. So human beings are intricate and they're wonderfully created. Let's see if this works now. Um, Guess who these are? Bradley and Julia? <laughs> I don't know.
1: <laughs> human beings
0: are intricately, wonderfully made and God came for people like you and me and them. Is the next slide. Please. And if you divide human beings up, if you sort of dissect us in many ways, we are mind, we are body, we are emotions, we are hearts, we are intellect, we are spirit, we have the will and the body is the visible part of who we are. I just want to give you a very quick overview of where we're going here. So, those are different components of what makes us who we are. But the visible component is the body. So that's why I don't know what David thinks unless he talks to me or I watch him. Right? The body is what... I don't know what is important to him. I watch and see where he goes. I watch and see what he does. Through his body, everything about him is revealed. The body is the tangible expression. That's why when God became flesh, His love went to the cross tangibly. It wasn't abstract. It, he bled. I read a, a cool... Uh, it's not so cool, but it's a, a cool phrase that I wanted to put on a billboard that said, the Body piercing saved my life. <laughs> Jesus was body pierced on the cross with nails. For us. But the body what I'm speaking we're doing something this morning we're really going to hit it hard so fasten your safety belts but it's in love it's about um, truth the spirit, the mind, the intellect hearts and emotions go to the next one please that's a picture of how I think we live And what I mean by that is, what rules the will? What causes the will to do what it does? It's pulled down into the mind. It's pulled down into the emotions. It's pulled down into the heart. The body pulls it. And they all want to be Lord. They all want to say, pay attention to me. That's the real world. And all the questions we're going to be facing this morning that I'm going to just introduce, we're going to introduce an overview this morning and then over the next weeks, take each one at a time and look at them. The question will be, who's ruling? Who's getting attention? Who is God for you and for me? That's what Jesus was about. That's what he was dealing with his disciples. And I'm trying to give you a picture of what it was doing. The next one, please. The next one, that's just sort of... That's Jesus. Jesus. Everything is aligned and everything is submitted. In that one the spirit was very small. The spirit was actually created to be the largest of all. But what Jesus was trying to do and is trying to do with us is saying when you are created you're not created to be a slave to any of your emotions, your mind, your intellect, your heart. You're meant to be a slave to the living God, a servant of the living God. Your will is meant to be subject to the Spirit of God and your will calls the body, the mind, the emotions, the heart into alignment. That's what Christianity is about. It's about rediscovering the purpose of being fully human. And how to be fully human in a manner that glorifies God and also uses ourselves to our maximum potential. Does that make sense? What has happened in a broken world is that it's all got muddled up. And so we, we are led by our emotions, or we are led by our intellect, or we are led by our bodies, we are addicted to things. And the last place we find hope initially is in the Spirit and in God. Because that has been neglected so much. And that's the, the, the beauty of God's creation is that you can't kill the Spirit. And so when God begins to work, He starts to awaken that Spirit and start to say, okay, I'll accelerate that Spirit and I'll bring it back into what it was meant to be. But you can only feed that spirit with spirit. You can't feed the body with books. You have to have food. You can't feed the spirit with theory. You have to have the spirit of God. And as the spirit of God feeds us, so our spirits grow. So I want to think about questions this morning. And the thing about questions is that questions pierce the fog and ambiguity in which we often hide, don't they? If I don't ask you how you are, I don't need to know how you are, then I don't have to respond. you Have ever experienced that? If I don't ask you what your relationship with Jesus is like, I don't need to be embarrassed when you go, I don't know. The, the, the fewer questions I ask, the less I'm responsible for anything. And we live in a culture that is absolutely worshiping ambiguity and politeness that doesn't ask questions. But God in Jesus came to ask questions in order. When He spoke to that rich young man, He said He looked at him and He loved him, and then He said, "But you need to sell." And the man ran, walked away, uh, sad. But God's Spirit through Jesus is engaging our hearts and the way you discern where the will is and the heart is is you ask questions and you look you see if the body is the tangible medium is the is the visible way we see what's going on underneath the body is when you look at the body you see how the will is aligned and where the will is expressed and Jesus said i've come to set you free the truth will set you free so what he's doing is he's asking questions to, to reveal the state of the heart, to reveal the state of the mind, to reveal the state of the will. You see, it's really easy to say, I believe in Jesus. But if, if you want to know who believes in Jesus, there's a very simple thing one can do, isn't there? Just watch and listen. Listen. I'm not talking about perfection here, don't get me wrong. I'm talking about just watch and listen. There are two things that will be absolute truth detectors in your following Jesus. It will be looking at your calendar and looking at your your, your money. I mean, those are tangible, easy easy spotting things that show value and show priority and show direction and show who has got the, the focus of my life. And so Jesus' questions to us, uh, reveal to us on one hand where his priorities are. They also reveal to us where he wants to work. Because when he asks us a question, we either panic and run. And you've got a pretty good idea that he's got his finger on something that he wants to work on. Because his questions are always coming from a place, I said, I thought you you said you were following me. And I think one of the reasons why many of us are not growing as Christians and are not actually more muscular and more mature is we're ducking all the questions. And we we are scared of questions. When questions are nothing to be afraid of. You go to the doctor and he says, where does it hurt? And then he taps around and eventually tries to give you something. Well, that's the same thing that God is trying to do in the spirit. The questions are not to judge, but to reveal where we need to allow him to work if we want to grow and follow him. And so Jesus asks penetrating questions to reveal the heart and the mind and the will. And I did give you uh, one key to listening to the voice of God. Jesus asks questions and he says, will you? Fill in the blank. Satan turns that around and says, you will. Evil will always condemn you and push you into something that's slavery. God will always invite you in to relationship. So how the questions are asked are hugely important. You can say, how are you? Or you can say, um, how are you doing in this area? And you can say it with love in a non-threatening way. Or you can say, you're doing what and what, how, what, why? You can ask a question that accuses or you can ask a question that invites a response that is not being judged. And so the way we ask questions and the way we answer questions are hugely important. And Jesus always came as a saviour, always one who said, I'm asking this question because I believe in you, I want you to know who you are, and I'm also here to help you be what you're not. All I need you to do is know the truth. And I absolutely believe one of the reasons why we're not growing in effectiveness is because we're terrified of truth. And we either go into this thing of beating ourselves up for what we're not, and all God says is, for God's sake, get it together. You're not going to be together. That's the good news, I know. And the other is, I'm coming to help you be what you are not. Isn't that good news? Aren't you excited by that? Yeah. I can see that. So going make sure I don't So the, fir- the first question in the Bible... Is God saying to Adam and Eve, Where are you? And He knows exactly where they are. But He's getting them to acknowledge why they're lost and why they have rebelled. So God's power is about breaking into the human life that we are used to and saying, I want to invite you into a kingdom that is a strange place for you. So one of the things you know right off the bat is this strange, it's awkward, it's not um, intuitively obvious to me. But God's desire for you and me is so much bigger and greater than we can imagine. His kingdom breaking into the world is about healing and miracles and demonstrating the power of God, a new identity. Imparting information was very low on Jesus' agenda. Winning hearts... And captivating people and setting them free and healing their diseases was far more important because out of that came places of of healing and out of that came questions that then fed their intellect. They started the other way around. Knowledge flows from the heart to the head and into the world. So, very, very quickly, the first question. I think you should have it there. I've just gone through Mark's Gospel very quickly These are questions, the kinds of things. Jesus was calling his disciples. His disciples were fishing. They were busy doing uh, their their ordinary tasks. And Jesus came up and really said, will you follow me? And one of the questions he will ask us is, uh, will you follow me today? And following me means that you have to leave some things behind. Or you have to put them aside. So behind that question is what is the direction and priority of your life? Now These are questions we are going to spend time over the next six or seven weeks looking at so I've got to really be disciplined. Um, I'm just giving you the headlines but I've, I've gone through the Gospels trying to pick out the hard questions or the life changing questions that Jesus asked his disciples. And the, the, the kinds of questions we need to be willing to ask each other as part of our coaching and mentoring of one another. And there are no exceptions. I really don't care how much money you have or how much you don't have. There are no, there are no exceptions. I don't care what your history is, I don't care how miserable your life has been or how great it's been. You're still being asked the same question, which is, will you follow me? And what is the direction and priority of your life? Second question came out of when the disciples were, remember there were 5,000 people and all these people and and the disciples came up to Jesus and said, uh, look at all these people, they need food, send them away. And Jesus says, will you feed them? And we don't get their first response, which might have not been printable. But they were absolutely devastated at the sense that they had no resources whatsoever to meet this need. And Jesus asked them to do something when they didn't have the resources or the ability to do it. And in following Jesus, one of the things he's going to ask us to do is to say yes to him when we don't know how it's going to happen. And as they said yes to him, then he began to show them how he could supply the need. He led them step by step. Many of us are stuck, probably in 20 years ago, in our faith, because we're scared of taking these little risks. But it's these little risks that bring the life, that, that feeds the 5,000. We're still working out how to understand the complex, the, the, how to understand how Jesus fed 5,000 people. It's the Spirit of God. And so the extraordinary part of God is only discovered through stepping out in my ordinariness and letting Him show the extraordinary. So the question is, what do you have? What can I use that you give me? And watch what I do with it. The third question was in the midst of a storm when they were panicking and Jesus was asleep. And He stands up and they say, don't you care about us? And He stands up and He says, He quiets the storm and He says, why is your faith so small? And in the midst of the circumstances of life, they panicked and they were afraid. If they'd looked at Jesus and they'd learned a little bit more by then, they would have realized, well, if he's asleep and the Father loves him and he's not panicking, then I guess we don't need to panic. So the focus, what he's trying to teach them is, look to me, focus on me and get from me the peace you won't get from your environment. But if you think I'm going to step into every circumstance that's stormy in your life and calm it, forget it. It's not going to happen. And there are many, many, many of us who, whose whole lives are lived um, surviving our circumstances. And it, it's not going to change. Controlling circumstances is not the key to life. Sleeping in the storms is. Learning that God is faithful in the midst of all hell. And that's a relationship with Jesus that leads us into that, as well as a relationship with one another. Let's not remember, forget that all of these questions are in the context of a group. I didn't even put this one down. This is a bonus, which is, we want individualism. I want a private relationship with Jesus that nobody else sees. I just want them to see the good stuff. But all the other stuff, I don't want to talk about. Thank you. So we, we talk about being sensitive. It's actually lies, deception and dishonesty and pride, by and large. Paul said, I'll boast about my weaknesses so that Jesus will be glorified. People used to say it's a common thing. Paul, he's got a beak nose, he's bald and he looks like an idiot. He was nothing to look at and he was very awkward and yet, when he spoke, he spoke with an authority that astounded people. Who do you... uh, Fourth question. So the the one about faith was about trust and faith, how, who you're trusting and how's your faith being expressed. Number four, who do you say that I am? Jesus asked him. He said, "Tell me, uh, what do other people say I am?" And who do you? And they, and they talk. Oh, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and then he comes spinning right down and says, "Okay, who do you say that I am?" And it wasn't a rhetorical question. It wasn't. Um, no, I didn't mean that. He, he really pinned them down. He said, Well, who do you say? Because you remember there was an occasion where he said the Son of Man's going to suffer. And many, many people who were saying they were his disciples left him. And he turned around and said, Are you going to leave as well? You see, there's an aspect of Jesus' questions that caused people to walk off. And there's an offensiveness and a challenge of God that will cause people to walk off. The hard part is making sure the question isn't offensive, the way the question is questioned isn't offensive. But it's basically continually encountering the will. It's always speaking to the will. Every question is ultimately speaking to the will. But they're covering the emotions and the heart and the mind. And really trying to reveal, well, what has authority in your life? So he said, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? If I am God, if I am Lord, then follow me. If I am Lord, then how am I being expressed through your body? How am I, be ex- how am I being expressed through your money? How am I being expressed through your time? And that is the truth of the diagnosis of saying, where are your priorities? Where are mine Number five was a question he asked in Gethsemane when he said to his friends, can you watch for a while? And then he came and said, why are you asleep? He was going through his toughest time and his friends slept. And he said, I want you to pray that you won't fall into temptation. They had already said, we will never leave you. So he said, I want you to pray that you will be able to fulfill that. And they fell asleep and they didn't fulfill what they said they would. Because they thought they could do it in their own strength. And one of the reasons why many of us are also very ineffective is we sleep. We have become a people who, unless we're being entertained, will not listen. Even listening to me this morning is a challenge for probably three quarters of you. And I know it's all my fault, but there's one percent that's yours. If you want to listen, you bring a Bible. If you want to listen, bring a notebook. If you want to listen, do something to help you listen. I cannot read, and I have spent nine years at university. I cannot read a book without falling asleep. So I underline, and then I write down the notes that I underline, and then I shorten those notes that I take. In other words, unless you're proactive, it's not going to happen. I am not responsible for your growth and feeding. I am responsible for providing you with the opportunity to eat. But I am exhorting this morning the truth of God's questioning that says we also have to step in there and take hold of stuff. God's idea is for us to be a light and a powerful witness in this, on this island to his majesty and his glory. Half his church is fighting with each other, the other half is sleeping and a few are trying. That's not condemnation, it's just diagnosis. So one of the ways of going through these questions is saying, well, where are you, where am I? And the good news is that going through these questions is not condemning, it's merely going, so I invite you into something better. That's why we need Jesus. On the cross, there was a very, very agonizing question that came out of Jesus. This is the next slide. This is the one question that Jesus spent, said to the Father. The one question, the one moment in his whole eternal life where he was separated from God because of your sin and my sin. And he said, Dad, what has happened? He had never ever been there before. He had never been in a place that he was separated from his Father. And on that cross, when he took the sin of the world upon himself, for the first time in eternity, he was separated. And I think he was terrified. I don't think that was a theological statement he was making. I think it was a cry from a broken son who went there for you and for me in the body, in the flesh, at a specific time in history. Nothing abstract in order for truth to be worked out in our lives, our bodies, our circumstances today. And he shouted and he cried out, My God, why have you forsaken me? And God is big enough for those questions within us. When we feel abandoned, he is big enough to take those questions. I could tell you a lot about that because I spent a long time there myself. And I wasn't dying for anybody else. I was just totally lost. But God is big enough to embrace our lostness, our brokenness, our fears. But he begs us and says, bring them to me. Bring them to me, cry out to me. That is authentic. He never is saying, Jesus has never said, sort yourself out and come to me. He says, come to me and we'll sort ourselves out together. And the final question, which is the one that is... uh, we all know about, which we thought about at Easter and we thought about last week, is the one that he said to Peter, do you love me? It was the culmination of everything without which he was not going to release them into ministry. He didn't ask them, are you now persuaded that I am God? Are you now this? Or are you now that? Or are you now the other thing? He didn't ask any of that. He merely said, Peter, what's your heart like? And Peter wept. He wept at the revelation of his own brokenness, and he wept at the incredible grace of a God who met him in his resurrected form, incredibly gently with fish on the fire for him to eat, and said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter just broke, and said, of course I do. That's what God wants from us. You can't fake that. You've got to do the trip. You can't fake the the emotion that comes out of a Peter saying, Oh God, I have nowhere else to go. But if you want that, you've got to leave your nets. You've got to risk, you've got to step out the boat. There's a lot that's gone on before in order to get to that heart response. And I believe with all my heart, God's desire for us is saying, that's what I'm inviting you to. But we're all half dead because we're so scared of taking risks. We're so scared of being authentic. We're so scared of being incomplete or sinful. We've got to chill out with that and just go, we are a mess in many, many ways. But that's where God comes. And that is what the world is looking for. Who will help me in my brokenness? Who will help me in my failure? Who will help me when everything I've ever tried to do is going wrong? Or whatever. Whatever. We live in an incredibly fractured culture. If you desperately need the love of God to come in and say, I love you, I have a purpose for you, I have a plan for you, I've always loved you, follow me. Not into rules, into relationship. What what uh, what, what, um, question I wonder... Springs out for you this morning. If you want to know God's Spirit and God's heart for you, just ask Him. It'll be the one that you want to run away from, it'll be the one that you're embarrassed by or awkward with, and something stirs up in you. And He's merely saying, Oh, you're really struggling with that, aren't you? Let me come. Let's work this one out. Don't be afraid, because this is why I've come. But the questions will reveal the heart and the emotions and the will. And the questions will reveal truth. And the questions are, are designed to reveal truth in order that God can bring us into a better place. But it all starts and ends with our relationship with Jesus. Coming again to the one who says, you have, we're going to look at this at Camp Homeward. you have no idea how much I treasure you. And that is why I'm going to press you with questions so that I can draw you in to experience more of what I've created for you. As we come to communion, there is absolutely no condemnation in this word. Nothing. It is entirely about how to help us discover our alignment and our affections and our priorities and pay attention to them. And it's entirely about saying, Lord, I need you. And it's entirely about him saying, you know what, I love you where you are. So this isn't about performance. It's not about being more acceptable. It's just about, this is an adventure and let's learn how to make it fun. But it's also about letting go of things and taking hold of other things. And the core is a heart relationship with Jesus. We're going to watch a very short clip that's going to be... uh, about being amazed by God in Jesus. We're going to then sing a song. In fact, I'm going to pray before we do that. We're going to sing a song and then we're going to go straight into communion. I really want to invite us to allow God to meet us wherever we are. And that's one of the reasons why we're saying to each other, Let's not talk to each other during these times. Let's give Jesus time. But his desire for you and me is so good and so wonderful. It's life. So let's listen to that. and then, Father, we just thank you for your truth. We thank you for the gift of Jesus. We thank you for all that he is. And we've only discovered a little bit of that. But we thank you that just as with the disciples, he has come that he might lead us into greater life, greater truth, greater authority, a greater sense of who we are in the kingdom of God on this earth. And you have good things and marvelous things for each person here. And uh, we thank you for what you have done and we thank you for what you will do. And we therefore pray that as we review these questions, you will reveal to us those, those questions that you're wanting to ask us. Not in order to condemn us, but in order that we might enter into a new level of relationship with you. So thank you again for your truth. We pray that we would not be afraid of it, but with thirst for it. That we too might be free. Amen. <coughs>